Welcome to the third episode of Saturday School. If you enjoyed, make sure to follow us on Instagram for updates at mission.inspired. You can also listen to our podcast on Spotify or Anchor at anchor.fm slash satschool. That's SAT school. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and happy holidays. So as a holiday special, we actually have two guests on our podcast today rather than one. They're all good friends of Elaine. First, we have Annie McDonald. And second, we have Ning Wei. They're both co-presidents of JSA and also Pacific Northwest cabinet members. Annie's also involved in Girls Stand with Built by Girls and Girls Who, Girls Who Code, where she is the co-president. So I want to get started with this title of Pacific Northwest cabinet members for JSA. Do you guys want to go a little bit into what exactly that even means? The Pacific, um, or no, we should start with JSA, the organization. It's actually a nationwide organization, right? And it's completely student run. So it's um, the national organization is divided up into regions. So we have like Texas and Northeast California and Pacific Northwest. So students from the Pacific Northwest who are involved in JSA, they are also part of the PNW JSA like regional organization. And there's a lot of stuff that happens on a regional level that requires student involvement. For example, um, PR, um, activism expansion. So the cabinet is kind of in charge of doing some of the jobs that um, maybe individual students would not do for their as part of their high school chapter, if that makes any sense. Um, um, like and organizational things. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, I know Annie, or I'm not involved in it this year. I was last year. I was in expansion department, so I was involved in like contacting students and like helping them start JSA chapters at their school. But Annie has been involved more in like the logistical of cabinet. Yeah, so I think kind of to like explain like the different words like logistics or expansion. So cabinet, we call it cabinet because it kind of mimics like the presidential cabinet. So we have these different departments is what we call them. So we have, you know, a department for expanding JSA in the Pacific Northwest. We have a department for um releasing like PR things for the Pacific Northwest. So we have different departments and I right now am the director of logistics, which means I am the director of the logistics department. So we're basically in charge of kind of running the regional conventions that we host. Um, and like how Ning said, she was an expansion agent, which meant that she was in charge of reaching out to schools that don't have JSA and trying to convince them to start their own chapter. Oh, okay. So it kind of, kind of reminds me a little bit like DECA in which we have our local chapters but we also compete on a national level seems like JSA is a really well built well built out organization I feel like I haven't given it enough credit when I've talked about JSA before so I actually like here's my question like what exactly do you do for JSA what do you do at conferences and what is the overall experience yeah so um I think that we actually have like three main conventions um, a year. We also have smaller ones that are more kind of local, but we have three big conventions a year. Um, so typically how they work is we have, you know, pretty impressive political um, figures come to speak at our um, convention. So for instance, this past convention, we heard from like Andrew Yang's campaign advisor. We also had um, like Rashida Tlaib at some, kind of bigger event, but we typically have guest speakers and then we spend most of the day debating and those tend to be, you know, 
political topics. And then um, after we debate, we typically like just do fun activities. Like we have a JS dance that we normally do. I heard a little but... bit about the fun activities. <laughs> yeah. Me a little bit about that. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but we also got to, do you Ning, do you want to talk about like the activism kind of side? Yeah. Um, so within JSA, we're a, a big part of JSA, I would say is like networking almost politically mm. or like finding out regional um, activism opportunities that students can participate in. So there's like a whole department dedicated to finding things that students can participate in. Like I know over the over quarantine, um, one one person linked or she let us know, like everyone in JSA know about a local campaign for Washington State House, um, Meal and Thai. So it was really cool because like they post it in like our Facebook group and then everyone can apply to join. And it's a lot of fun because you're like working with your JSA peers. Oh, okay. Um, One thing I was just kind of curious is about, about is like, it sounds that you guys have a lot of opportunities for people to get involved, like working in politics, even at a high school level. But I was just curious, like, if you're not interested in pursuing, like, a legal career or anything politically related, like, what are the benefits of joining JSA? There are a lot of re- um, not re- leadership <laughs> opportunities within JSA, right? Like, within cabinet, or you can become, like, even the regional governor, or within your chapter, or just public speaking. I think one component of JSA that's really valuable that I think not a lot of people know is it's or I think it's kind of confused with speech and debate sometimes, right? So people are always like, what's the difference between JSA and speech and debate? I would say the number one thing is that JSA is more chill. So if you're like a novel novice speaker, um, JSA is like a really welcoming environment where you can just go up. You don't have to prepare like a super long speech. You can if you want, but you don't have to. You can just go up and say what you want to say, argue. And everyone is so supportive. Like, they're, they always like clap or like, oh my God, you did such a good job like after you speak. And they're like opportunities to win like best speaker awards. So I think for me, at least JSA definitely helped with my public speaking and my confidence and like just all those skills that are necessary even if you don't wanna go into uh, politics or become a lawyer or whatever. A hundred percent. Oh yeah, go ahead. Oh, just to elaborate on that, even if you're really not interested in, you know, pursuing something in politics, I think that JSA is a great pay a great place to you know keep up with current events and grow to be more tolerant I think that's something that I definitely went through joining JSA um, coming from Bellevue it's easy to get in some kind of bubble of everyone with pretty similar political um, beliefs and ideologies so going to JSA conventions and meeting people from Oregon or other parts of Washington is really cool because you're exposed to different beliefs and ideas that you probably wouldn't have just at school yeah. And I want to go back to this debate in JSA comparison. I 100% <laughs> agree that JSA is way material. Nobody claps for me when I'm done debating. And also, it just seems like JSA is more like engaged in the real world, if, if that makes sense, because it's more about you guys are talking about real topics and you guys are engaging through kind of what you said about one of the students posting like real world po- like actions that they can take. Whereas speech and debate is a lot more about hypothetical situations that are honestly more just like, like I, I suppose they're just different because speech and debate is a lot more. I have a lot of respect for this, like people who are involved in speech and debate. Like I've heard it's a lot so of intense. stories of how like competitive and yeah, intense everyone is. So I think J 
JSA and debate are two different worlds. Like you can be involved in both. You don't have to for choose sure. one or the other, right? And I honestly have so, so much respect for you guys. Like the speed wow. at which you guys talk and everything. <laughs> <laughs> you guys talk so fast. You want to demonstrate like you- us, Aaron? But but this is what I mean, like when you're actually like within policy and you're trying to advocate for some sort of like resolution, you're not talking at that pace and then you're not talking about a lot of these wild arguments that are brought up in speech and debate, whereas JSA is a lot more like, like, let's talk about like more material actions that we can take regarding a certain solution. And then Santa. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something I am curious about is like, what is the most like out of pocket point of view somebody has brought up in JSA before. Something that just- <laughs> Wait, I have one, I have one, I have one. Okay, I'm excited. Okay, so within JSA, there are a bunch of debates, right? That are, some are like more beginner friendly, others are more serious. Um, some are more like even humor based. So I remember one convention, I think, I believe it was fall state of 2019. So like October, November or something there was a debate going on about the anti-BDS movement. And for those who are unaware, BDS is this whole movement to impose sanctions on Israel. So if you're in support of BDS, you want sanctions on Israel because you don't agree with what they're doing and you want to like show your support for Palestine or whatever, right? So this debate was basically about like whether BDS legislation (laughs) is like ethical or whatever. And there was this one speaker there, Um, I'm not gonna name any names, but I think they were very passionate about um, Israel. They're, I think one of their parents was from Israel. And I remember it got super heated, right? Because this is a, like, Israel, like, Israeli-Palestine relations are a really contentious mm-hmm. um, topic. And I remember it got to the point where that person started calling some people, like, Nazis for not supporting Israel. It was really, really <laughs> intense. Okay. But for the most part, like, people are generally respectful of one another and it's yeah intellectual life and definitely like Annie said growing up in Bellevue that bubble where you don't often disagree with people you don't often encounter people who have views very different from your own so yeah that definitely sounds like a really good environment to be in where you can be civil and intellectual about those things one thing I was extremely curious about is what is the political like the distribution of political views at like at JSA like is it I think conservative or liberal it's still majority liberal I think well because it's the Pacific Northwest so it's Washington Oregon and then we technically include like Idaho and Montana but we don't really have any people from Idaho and Montana come to conventions um but I would say (laughs) yeah we definitely have a majority liberal but I think it's still pretty surprising that we do have a decent amount of conservatives for instance we have one convention that that's kind of like a competition between republicans and um democrats to see who can change more minds at debates and so for that we kind of split up into our different parties at the beginning and I remember my first time going to JSA I was pretty surprised by how many republicans were there um yeah I would still say probably like maybe a fourth or so are Republican, but I know things are changing now, so I can't speak for right now. It's kind of like a stereotype that um, Republicans who are young, like high schoolers, they're just like following their parents' politics or like they're not thinking for themselves. You know, they're just like taking in whatever the media or what they've surrounded them by, like has been giving them. 
But I think within JSA, I've definitely met a lot of people who are conservative, but like con they really have like stuff to back it up. Um, I think some of like our most well-spoken, um, well-known debaters are conservative. Like a disproportionate amount of our well-spoken debaters are conservative compared to, you know, the overall demographics of how many, you know, uh, okay. conservative versus democratic speakers there are. So I would, I would not stereotype them at all as like the people who just follow what their parents say. Yeah, yeah I'll be honest. Like if I was a conservative in the minority, I'd be pretty scared talking in front of all these liberal people who are probably disagreeing with me. And honestly, it's probably easier to listen to your surroundings as a liberal just because Seattle and overall the West Coast is a more liberal place. Do you feel like through JSA, your beliefs have changed overall or has there been like a single moment that, you, that really changed one of your beliefs? I think it's definitely taught me a lot more tolerance. So I'm a lot more open to views that I disagree with or I'm initially disagreeing with, right? So I think over time, I've definitely, my, some of my political viewpoints about some controversial topics has definitely changed. Um, yeah, because it's, it's really interesting because like before JSA, I don't think I like ever even talked to a conservative or like had a real like deep, meaningful um, conversation go on. So within J JSA, I was able to make like conservative friends and hear like, why do you really support, you know, whatever policy or like, why do you love Ronald Reagan so much? So it's really interesting. <laughs> okay, yeah, I definitely, I mean, I know I've heard a lot about speech and debate, but I've never really deep dived into what JSA is like. And it sounds so much better than the kind of conversations we have at school, maybe in like a normal government class. Um, definitely, there have been some very out-of-pocket moments in history <laughs> classes at school, and I, I think it's just really great to have an environment where you can be so civil. So, yeah, it's really great to hear that you guys are so involved in this organization. For sure, for sure. Join JSA. Yeah. For anyone yeah. who's listening that's looking for a club to join in high school, this is a great option, especially if you want to get more politically engaged or informed. Or if your school doesn't have a JSA chapter, feel free you to can anyone in JSA one. and we'll link you up with our expansion department, our lovely expansion department. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, JSA does like a really good job of supporting um, every club. For instance, Ning and I have at least monthly calls with JSA, with um, people who work in JSA cabinet to make sure that we're all on the same page and they'll give us like materials to do at our meetings. So I know other clubs don't exactly give you that kind of guidance. So it's really nice that they like, hold our hand through the entire process. Okay. So I know you've gone into a little bit about what conventions do. You guys are talking about resolutions. There's fun activities. What do you guys do in the JSA meetings? Are they every week, bi-weekly? What is the focus? And is it like a standardized curriculum across clubs all over the nation? Or do you guys is it really up to the co-presidents? co-presidents and I whenever we go to like conventions and talk with other schools it seems like there's such a broad range of what different like different co-presidents decide for their chapter but I would say at least within Newport JSA we do we meet weekly and we debate I would say almost every single week every single time it's a new resolution they're usually pretty relevant to like what's going on for example we had one about Columbus Day, like should that be um, replaced or get gotten rid of nationally? Um, just, we, I think we did that like the day before Columbus Day or something like that. So that, 
attracted a lot of attention because I know that's Columbus Day is a really heated debate right now. Um, I know we also did a voter registration drive earlier this year, and I know some other JSA chapters did that too. So I guess that's something uh, that is connected throughout chapters or across America. Yeah, so, they normally like give us a guide of things we should do. Like they're like, oh, you should host a registration drive sometime this month, or oh, you should talk about, you know, what's going on in the Georgia Senate races sometime. But they don't force us to do it and they don't say like you have to do it this exact day it's just something that they like encourage us to do uh, okay super different from speech and debate yeah how does it work for speech and debate well for speech and debate it's we have different events as you guys know and then everybody there's like lincoln douglas policy where it's 2v2 debate public forum and then there's speech events and then every single two months, they come out with a topic for speech and debate. So for example, the Lincoln Douglas topic right now is uh, like, we ought to pass a federal jobs guarantee and then it's changing every two months. So then we're, every single practice during debate, we're literally just debating the resolution, doing topic prep, researching, yada, yada, yada. And then just rinse and repeat every single practice. Well, do you think you've become more open-minded by being part of speech and debate or at least like more well-read and well-spoken and articulate? Um. I think you become open-minded, not necessarily because of the topics you're debating, but because of the kind of people you're around with. Like typically the friends I become with at Speech and Debate aren't people I would have expected, like coming out of Odal straight into Newport High School. A lot of the friends I made, I wouldn't have expected to have made unless I did Speech and Debate. So it's more the environment that cultivates it rather than the activity itself. Um, but yeah, it's it, it, like Speech and Debate and Jason are super similar. Do you guys, have you guys thought about MUN before and being involved in that activity? I didn't, to be honest, I didn't even really know that much about MUN until recently. I kind of, I like, I know how MUN works, but, and I've, it's always been something I've been interested in. I just don't think I've ever like considered joining. I don't know. I would love to join though. And I was thinking about maybe going to a couple meetings this year, but I think in the past, I just didn't have time and didn't put the effort in. I don't know. <laughs> that sounds it bad. Kind of depends on where your interests lie because I think MUN is much more focused on international relations and global policy, whereas oh, JSA is centered almost entirely around US politics. So it just depends on what you're interested in, I guess. Yeah. So for anybody who's, who's listening, hopefully that gives you a little bit of a preface, especially if you're a freshman or you're a middle school student, though I don't know if we will have any. If you're interested in politics, public speaking, there's JSA, speech and debate, MUN, tons of clubs you can try. You can also try civics club. That's a little oh. something. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of clubs, especially in whatever school you're going to, and then just make sure you're trying each one because they're all pretty unique in terms of what they offer and the skills that you will get into it. I do want to segue a little bit into college apps because I know we're kind of right into the season of college apps. So, you know, yeah, I think I'm just kind of trying to make sure I'm really like being true to myself and answering each question the way that I believe is like most honest to me. I think what I've been doing before is, you know, trying to maybe like manipulate each question and try and like show them a different part of me. And, you know, instead of answering the question, I was twisting like my response to fit the question 
And I think now I'm kind of looking back and being like, oh, I could have responded in this different way. Um, like instead of responding the way I want to and not the way I think that they would like me to. Oh, that was really confusing. <laughs> well, College Apps really seems almost like a marketing plan in the sense that you are the product or service and like you can't change what you offer, but you can like emphasize certain points and market certain points. And that is kind of what any of you were talking about. But I'm sure it's a balance as to like being honest as to what you bring to the table, but also emphasizing and really going for certain traits that you want to showcase to the college admission officers. Yeah, and don't agree. School fit. Every school looks for something a little bit different. So make sure you do your research. Need the core values. And I think it's also like what I'm trying to do is like find things that are pretty like standout-ish that are unique to me so that you know when they're done reading my application they're not just like oh this is another you know good boring essay they're going to be like oh like she did what now or like I don't know I'm just trying to speak about kind of you know unique quirky things about me that I know no one else will be able to say the same for themselves. Mm. So do you want to go a little bit into something specific like any quote like as you said shocking or quirky things that you have done that you feel like will set you apart compared to the other high school students? I mean, it's not necessarily like quirky achievements. Um, for instance, in one of my essays, I kind of give like a brief intro where I talk about um, my like family's dinner time, um, dinner time discussions because my dad used to be a homicide prosecutor so one thing that we talk a lot about at dinner would be like how to get away with murder so <laughs> I kind of open it by talking about like by with a little I can't speak right now I open it with like a couple sentences about you know our family dinner time like weird conversations and then talk about how you know those like weird conversations have kind of seeped into and taught me different lessons about life and I go through different parts of my life where I've like applied those lessons. So I think oh, okay. like not many people are going to write about like the murder discussions they have with their family. I don't know. Yeah. That was just kind of my rationale. I think in general, like family is such a great topic to write about because everyone is very like deeply impacted by their family, especially their parents. So I, I think talking about family also shows a level of maturity and a certain value that college admission officers will see in you because I think the reality of it is that like a lot of high school students don't value family as much as they should, especially just because, you know, like high school can be a turbulent time. So I think like showing, like showing the value of family, certain activities that you value, or maybe like the relationships you have with your parents or siblings will like really set you, set yourself apart. Yeah, for sure. Okay. okay. Um, but one point we really wanted to touch on with college apps, because obviously we could talk for like hours about marketing yourself and like what kind of traits you want to put forth. But at the end of the day, we're not college admissions officers, so we don't really know. So as students, I think the one thing we can really understand is the feeling of like coping with rejection and like dealing with disappointment. So, I mean... I just want to know, like, what is your guys' experience with that? Like, how do you deal with the self-esteem blow that comes with getting rejected from a school and um, the disappointment? Because <laughs> I think everyone can relate to that. Yeah. Um, so I got rejected from my early school. Um, <laughs> I think that, I mean, 
I definitely was not expecting to get in. So I wasn't really upset. I know a lot of people cry or, you know, they, they spend like days like being really sad about it. But I think I just wasn't really affected because I know at the end of the day, college admissions is a crapshoot and it is not a reflection of my self-worth. So, you know, just because that college with like a 4% acceptance rate doesn't think that I am like a right fit for them. Like, sure. Like, it's not meant to be. I'll just apply somewhere else. I don't know. Um, I just really want to go to college at the end of the day. And I think that if we try and make sense of and kind of game the system, that's never going to work in our favor. So like college does not determine your self-worth. So who cares where you go? You're still a baddie regardless. Wise words, wise words. I think one thing I've been telling myself is just like college is only one step of the way or like one phase of my life, right? So I, I think we all get like roped into the idea like college determines your future or like if you go to a good college, it's like guarantees you're gonna succeed in life. But I think just telling myself like, even if I don't get into the school of my dreams, like I, I believe in myself, like I, I know my own ability and I think that will not set me back in any major way. I've been going to a lot of eye doctors and orthodontists recently because like I'm getting my glasses and I'm thinking about getting Invisalign. <laughs> it's kind of a comfort to see like every single time I go into the doctor's office and these are like people running like pretty big practices and they're like changing people's lives and doing so much good. And they're just going to like, or like they have always have like their certificate from wherever place they graduated from. And it's always like, a, you know, it's not like Harvard or anywhere, but they're still like amazing people and they still are able to do so much. So I think that's kind of like something that will like assuage my worries. In a way. Yeah. And I think it's also important to have like a supportive family. Like what my parents did is my dad saved all of his rejection letters from when he applied to college. So then after I got rejected, he just like brought out all of his and we just had a fun time laughing about it. I think it's really important to have a supportive family and not to, I mean, I know I'm guilty of this, but I think that when you spend so much time thinking and talking about the college application process and college in general, it definitely can put a lot of pressure on it. Um, I know like us as a squad, we talk about college a lot and think about it a lot and we're I know like I especially am guilty of that but I think if you're a junior and you're listening to this like stop thinking about college it's not a big deal it, you're only putting pressure on yourself. Of course it feels bad it feels disappointing but I think you have to remember that they're only seeing like a very limited part of who you actually are and you also never really know what they're looking for so you just have to put what you think is your best foot forward and if that's not good enough for them that's okay there's a lot of other schools out there who might really like what you have to offer and it's not necessarily an indication of like who you are as a whole yeah and at the end of the day like yeah you shouldn't be disappointed for too much expectation into it but the reality of it is that like it's okay to be disappointed and frustrated because you probably will so it's really like I got deferred from my early school it was a little bit different from Annie in the sense that I was being overconfident and I really thought I would get in so then like I was especially disappointed but at the end of the day like you just have to keep applying and just keep moving forward. And it is what, like Ning said, it is just four years of your life. And you could have like another eight, 10 years that can be way more impactful. You're still a baddie, Aaron. <laughs> I know, I know. I remind myself that every single day. Well, speaking of applying to college, um, I know that Annie and I 
both apply to many schools as computer science majors because we are two women who are very interested in the STEM field. So um, the next segment is a little bit about that, the experience of being a woman in STEM. So I know a lot of people talk about this on podcasts that are career related, and this is a very um, commonly discussed topic in the college application sphere. But I want to take a more casual approach to this, and I want to ask you, what is the most, just to start us off, what is the most misogynistic thing someone has ever said to you as a woman in STEM? Because I could come up with a litany of things, but honestly, looking back, it's kind of funny. It's a little bit funny. I'm going to be honest. So you can go first. Yeah, I would say, honestly, when it comes to direct comments, I know you and a lot of people who I've met through Girls Who Code have been, like, victims of that, (laughs) but I think I personally have not really um, been, like, victim to many, like, sexist comments, especially in my CS classes. I think more of, like, the things that I really dislike about CS is more of just the fact that, you know, women are such the small, such of a small minority. And, you know, I have gone comments like, oh, you should talk to like this guy about it, or you should ask a guy instead of a girl. But I don't think I've ever heard anything like explicitly misogynistic. Elaine, would you like to share? Um, I don't think, well, I have a couple, you know, it's like normal, very boring, just, are you on your period right now or something? Like, why are you getting so mad at me? And it's like, they've literally been refusing to contribute to the project for like the past few weeks or helping anybody else in the class. And I'm like, you need to like get your work done because all of us are contributing right now. I'm like, you need to be a team player. And the immediate response is, are you on your period right now? I'm like, no, I'm not on my period right now. You need to get to work. Like, I don't know what to say to that. But yeah, I mean, I've gotten comments like, you like women are just not suited towards logical thinking and like the critical like type of reasoning like women are better at memorization and I understand where that stereotype comes from because women are tend to be employed in fields like nursing and teaching and accounting and those tend to be very memorization-based careers but that doesn't mean I can't code so I don't know I think it just comes from a lack of like female presence in the industry So that's why Girls Who Code and activities like that are really important to me because exposure matters and representation does matter. Hashtag female empowerment. Thank you. I'm glad. And I think. Always happy to give my support. I think (laughs) the reason why I haven't really heard many of those comments is because I've tried to surround myself with a lot of, you know, um, women in STEM type activities. I think throughout all of middle school, I did, you know, coding camps that were just for girls and you know I continue to only be members of like coding clubs that are just for girls and I think that's probably why I haven't really heard many of those comments so that's why it sucks that the second that you leave one of those more safe spaces you hear those comments like are you on your period or I don't know that's just just messed up dude but I think a big part of being in a very male dominated industry is you have to learn how to work with different people who disagree with you and who might not have worked with a woman before. And that's kind of okay, because I think like, you just have to approach every situation with an open mind and try to be an empathetic person instead of being like really aggressive and confrontational all the time. You know, I don't think that's the best way to approach everything. But 
yeah, I mean, this is just a reality of life. You have to work with people who might not be the most pleasant sometimes, and that's okay. So, yeah. And I know, I know for girls who code, like the whole point is to create an environment for girls to study, like learn about STEM, because most of the time it's mostly a male dominated environment. And I do know now it's changed to NICE code. So it's not exactly the same environment. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Elaine and Annie. I think I understand the premise of the argument on why you can't have like a girls who code club because you know, the inverse isn't true. We can't have a, like the school district probably would never allow a boys who code club. But I think that by not letting us even call ourselves girls who code, not only is that defeating the whole purpose of the club, which is to provide kind of like a safe space for girls to learn to code, but it's just like, it's just like destroying the whole movement and not acknowledging the fact that, yeah, women disproportionately do face like discrimination and are the minority in the STEM industry. And by not letting us like, by not letting us be, you know, a place for girls, then it's just another coding class that men can dominate which sucks because then we're no longer addressing the issue. Um, for instance, we don't have like, we don't tell like the black student union that they can't have their own club and like that they must be like the like racial inclusive student union or something like that. I don't know. I just like the same reason why we have BLM is kind of similar to why we have girls who code men don't need that same support. It's women who are currently being targeted in the field. You heard it from here, support girls STEM. <laughs> I wanna move on to the next segment, which is more like a fun Q and A section. We have, me and Elaine prep some interesting questions we have here. So um, I'll start with the question one, Elaine, are you ready? I'm so ready. Okay. <laughs> Would you take the COVID vaccine? For sure. Yes. 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 And this is this can be a speed question, and if it's interesting, we'll go into it. But what about you, Elaine? Oh, yeah. I I just want to get back to normal life. If I develop some kind of like third arm or something, so be it. Like <laughs> I can't stay at home anymore. Okay. Well. Okay. Maybe I'm the only person, but I'm super hesitant to take the COVID vaccine just because, like, think about how fast they did it, and just like a vaccine is changing your body on a cellular level. Like every single cell, like- I've been watching I think I listened to something that said that it doesn't actually change. No. I, I forgot the science. I'm no, no biology major. mRNA, mRNA doesn't yeah. actually change your DNA. It only, it create. I don't even know. My mom explained it to me because my mom like does this stuff. But it was like, it creates like part of the virus or like, I don't even know. Never mind. Oh, yeah, if a smart person on TikTok says it, you know that you know it's true. No, your body creates a protein that like simulates the COVID nineteen virus, and yeah. then yeah. you recognize that. against that. And then once it learns that, it will protect you from that. Right. Well, at the end of the day, I don't want to be part of the first round of vaccines because that is like the first prototype, and I don't trust those vaccines. Okay, so but yeah. I feel like there are so many other things you put in your body that you don't know what the heck's in them. Like what? Sausages, have you ever eaten at McDonald's? <laughs> at least that's pleasant, you know. Like I'll I'll consent to that because it tastes. Oh, so it's not pleasant. Packaged nicely and it makes you feel good. You'll do something that's bad. I mean, that's why people. Never mind. Never mind. I won't go into that. 
But oh. people use some fluids that make them feel very good. Okay, next question. Uh, what part? Oh, what part of you? Okay, this is a little more specific question. What part of you do you think has changed during quarantine? Well, like without getting into it, I think that quarantine definitely made me recognize and like go face to face with like some like mental health um, issues. And I think also due to quarantine, like I've just grown to be, I think everybody has to be much more independent and care less about what everybody thinks. I think that like when you go to high school every day and see tons of peers every day, it's really easy to have your life be controlled by their judgments and being stuck at home for like pretty much an entire year makes you self-reflect and realize like, what is the true you and what are you doing because other people want it, want you to do it versus like, what are you doing because you actually enjoy it? And I think that is a major part of what quarantine has helped for everybody. Yeah, I resonate with that. All right, what about you, Ning? similar to Annie but I think I've definitely stopped caring about like what other people think of me or I've, I care less so like I'll like message or message people just like really randomly just like trying to start a conversation and I know like last year me would never would have done that because I would be so afraid like what if they think I'm weird or like what if it's really awkward um I deleted my social media like my Instagram my Snapchat and my TikTok um because I like went through like a self-reflection of realizing like I was letting it define myself too much. And I think that like never would have happened if it weren't for like the time that quarantine has given me to like really self-reflect and think like, what do I really need in my life? Do I need to be going on Instagram and like looking at everyone else's life? Like, no, no. I think personally, it's kind of the same for everybody else. It's just when you're in this environment with school, all your thoughts are pretty dictated by what other people are saying. Like it doesn't even have to be judgment. So like when you're alone, it's like, like in a metaphorical sense, it's more quiet and it's more just like learning to be honest with yourself and the thoughts and understanding who you are. So yeah, it's kind of the same for all of us. So next question, what are your thoughts on conservative figures like Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson and Candace Owens? Yeah, we're really tying it back to the whole JSA civic engagement. Right. I, I, I guess like another follow-up question is, have you ever seen a, someone wants to be like a Ben Shapiro at JSA? Like that's an optional question. People like imitate him. I don't think anybody, I think <laughs> no matter how conservative people are, nobody is like homophobic at JSA or at least openly homophobic. Um, people tend to be like much more like socially, I don't know if respectful is the right word, but progressive. like, yeah, progressive and nobody's really like religious or brings religion into anything as well. Um, <laughs> but okay, my thoughts on Ben Shapiro, like, okay, he's an, actually like a decent speaker. And I, I like Candace Owens because she's a very like logical, clear speaker and it's really easy to follow her train of thought. Um, do I agree with them about pretty much anything? No. Um, do I think that their opinions are correct? Not really, but like they're entitled to them and they, you know, if they worked for their platform. So you do you, but I don't really, I can't really support you when you're mm. homophobic and don't support like people's pronouns or basic things like that. I know Ning is a big consumer of Ben Shapiro's content. So no, I'm not. I'm really? not. <laughs> or, no. Okay. I can, I can go. 
but I know I know someone from JSA who has like a Ben Shapiro poster in his room, like along with his other conservative decorations. Do you feel like it's is that a red flag? Is that a red flag or a green flag? I think it's a green red flag. Red or red. <laughs> no, don't don't even start <laughs> Bro, you know it's <laughs> It's time to show me his YouTube page. But just like imagine like you're going to your friend's house, you know, you guys are just chilling and maybe you're like having a sleepover, right? And you're just like going to sleep and then you wake up in the middle of the night and you see like Ben Shapiro's like <laughs> dead soulless eyes like staring at you. That's terrifying. Is it on the but ceiling? I'm really not. No, it's, I think it's pretty high up. Or it's like you could go yeah. to bed and just like gaze up into Shapiro's <laughs> eyes, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's like you guys but, are a loving couple. I'm really not a big fan of Ben Shapiro. I think he comes off as pretty intelligent, just like, I guess, the way he carries himself and the speed at which he talks. But I think if you were to, re- or for me, I, like, really listen to him, and I just realized, like, he's, I don't think he's a good debater. He just keeps on going yeah. and going. And, like, someone will prove him wrong, and he'll pretty much admit to being wrong, but not actually admit. Does that make sense? Like, he'll, like, basically yeah. concede but not say that he concedes and I hate that about him he has like such a big ego um but I, I think I the thing is that's true of, like a lot of politicians though so I think that Ben Shapiro is is like pretty like like he he never really answers a question and he's pretty confident but I can't really blame him because I feel like that's what all politicians are like yeah. for Candace Owens I, I don't know if I would agree with what she says, but I think one thing I find really admirable, about, admirable or one thing I find really interesting about her is her whole, um, I, I know she has this whole thing about like Blacksit or like Black Exit. It's like a parody or a cop, a riff off of Brexit um, where her whole, she has like this whole thing that's like the Democratic Party has been like brainwashing African-Americans and Black people into supporting their um, policies. And like, it's time that we do like, wake up sheeple, like move to the Republican party. And while I don't know if I would say, I would agree and say that the Democratic party is explicitly like trying to brainwash Black people or try to bring them into the Democratic fold. I would agree that um, you like, you shouldn't let your race define your political opinions. Like I know, some people, or like people have responded to Candace Owens by calling her like, what's the word? Um, an Uncle Tom or like a house N-word. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's that's too much. So I like that she is offering like a alternative viewpoint to maybe like what, what we see normally, like day to day of black people tending to be more progressive, more liberal supporting the Democratic Party. Yeah. yeah. I think, although it is really entertaining to watch them, I think they more just appeal to people's like because I think a lot of maybe like liberal personalities appeal to liberal outrage whereas Candace Owens and Ben Shapiro even though they don't have very factually supported opinions they appeal to that conservative outrage and the conservative feeling of disenfranchisement in the mainstream media so that's a little bit concerning but yeah. it's also like very entertaining to watch Ben Shapiro debate college students as much as they just <laughs> it just He's just so like the way he talks is so funny. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't even think it's that he doesn't have actually based like data when he brings it up. It's more just like he's built himself up as a personality by talking in front of college students that he's probably more informed than, and he's a little bit wittier than them, so he can debate better. And then people just cut up highlights for him. Ben Shapiro crushes 
college student, liberal snowflake. <laughs> and then that's why people start idolizing him. I'm sure like he has a podcast, he has a show. He's definitely informed, but it's just like a lot of his audience has, does not see that side of him. It's just kind of the highlight in the snippet reel. So that's really what he's concerning. Yeah. Here's content. All the stuff that he makes is just entertainment. It's not like real politics. Sure. So it's definitely fun to watch. But if you're, I wouldn't get my political beliefs off of what he says. I think they're just more to watch like, oh, he's a funny or interesting or different guy. Yeah, I agree with that too. Even as someone who is very positioned, very opposite of him, I still like watching some of his videos just because he's an entertainer and a public figure. But it's concerning because I think a lot of maybe younger people really buy into his ideology and they see him like bullying college students and think that makes him more like correct than an actual like professor or seasoned politician. I don't know. Um, do you want to talk about that, Aaron? Getting out of the Ben Shapiro phase or is that? And no, I mean, yeah, I'll go into It's not even that much. It's just like every high school guy, like when you're 13, 12, 14, you're starting to dabble a little bit into political beliefs, like an ideology. And then you can't help, but suddenly your YouTube is starting to recommend Ben Shapiro. It's got millions of views. And then you start listening to it and you're like, this guy is right. You know, it's pretty funny too. I kind of admire him. And then that's really all it is. But then you just like, after you get a little bit more informed and then you develop more of your own opinions, you kind of, like, I respect him, but I don't agree with him on a lot of stuff. And that's really all there is to it. Where would you ideally see yourself 10 years from now? Yeah, I'll leave it at that first. Yeah, just like ideally. Okay. I'm not sure if I'll be able to hit this goal in 10 years or ever, but ultimately I want to be like a successful software engineer, you know, like make my way, make my way up the ranks in like Amazon or Microsoft or make my own startup. And then I need to own a really expensive mansion somewhere on the beach in LA. Um, but I have to construct it myself and it will have um, a lot of like Japanese architecture motifs throughout the house. So essentially my goal in life is to be rich enough to buy an expensive house in LA, tear it down and then build my own one. So, yeah. All right. Interesting. All right, Ning, what about you? To live in New York City in Manhattan. Number two goal would be to maybe be a lawyer by then, right? Because at 26, I think that's enough time. I want to live in an apartment where I can, it's like, it's like the romanticization of like, you know, like, a, like living in the big city, like struggling. I saw this one video of like people like catching rats in New York City. I want that to be me. You know? There was like this exterminator talking about how like, they're like, um, he like went into this house, it's like one apartment and like the walls were covered in roaches and the mattress was covered in roaches. Maybe that, that's not for me, but I want to be living in New York City. <laughs> so something around having roaches on your wall 10 years from now in New York. Interesting. That's kind of an alternative lifestyle, yeah. but respectable. Yeah, what about you? Very different. Um, I don't know. I really haven't thought about that at all. Probably something doing something business either living in new york la or san francisco that's really all i've thought san about francisco. lane told us that you want to be a talent manager that you want to manage this well okay 
Bro, I was thinking about like doing creative, working in creator economy would be super cool. Like whether like running the business side of that, I think would be pretty cool. The Sway Boys, people make fun of them, but they're super underrated entrepreneurs. Like I, I, I swear by that. We can go into it if you want. You can like choreograph their apology videos. I think that'd be so fun. Yeah, like crying. Yeah, I'd be like, I'll Photoshop like a, a tear rolling, <laughs> tear down, rolling down. <laughs> Yeah, that's really all I have in mind. Okay, question for the next question. Where would you practically see yourself 10 years from now? Yeah, like all things considered, when life happens, when things don't go to plan, what do you think you will be doing? Living at home? <laughs> well, actually, like, hopefully not. I don't know. I think it'd be cool just to live in an apartment in San Francisco or LA or New York or Boston. And yeah, so like any of the nice cities. Be like a struggling, struggling to like interview and find a job at some tech startup. <laughs> just a struggling professional trying to make it in the world. Right. Yeah. This is more realistic or just like an alternative career path but I recently started thinking about becoming like an elementary school teacher like I love working with kids so much that like I'm like low-key kind of digging the vibe you know like Pinterest board like cool <laughs> elementary school teacher with like a long cardigan well, you're obsessed with the aesthetic not the cardigan <laughs> no, no no I I like kids okay I, I, I like working with kids that's just a, right. the aesthetic is not just the cardigan voice. No. All right. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> you're yourself very aggressively. Like, do you help with this math problem? Like that? No, but like but, I like working with kids. They're so cute, and like yeah. third graders, I think, are the ideal age. Maybe. I think I in love. both cases, I'd want a hot boyfriend. That's so, solid. Fair yeah, enough. Exactly. That's I'm calling not, it now. Ten years from now. Isn't a want. That's a. That's a need. Necessity. You don't think you'll be married by the time you're 10 years from now? No, that's so young. No, I think I might be married. I'd like to be married by the time I'm 27. Honestly, yeah, I think late 20s is ideal time because you want to have children like in your early 30s. Yeah, don't want my eggs to go bad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You don't have to think about that, Erin, but you know, family planning is a real thing for women. All right, I will keep that in mind. Well, the correct answer should have been the same answer you gave as what do you ideally see yourself 10 years from now. We like people who, you know, we support people who stick to their dreams. Who's we? Me and Elaine. <laughs> Elaine, that was the answer we were looking for, right? Same answer yes. as the previous question. So this segues into the last question, which I think is pretty good. Elaine has reported to me that y'all don't appreciate anime. So my question is, why don't y'all watch anime? I watched two episodes of something recently. Which anime? I forgot which ones. I watched Hunter Hunter okay. and then a different one. I think it was Haikyuu. I don't know. One of them on- Oh, that one's good. Yeah, that one's good. They're both so what are your thoughts? I understand why people like them. I just think like I personally just in general don't really prefer animated things unless it's Phineas and Ferb they're the exception but um 
You haven't experienced the life lessons yet. That's why. Yeah, you have to like really commit to it. Like Naruto is 700, 800 episodes, but to really like, get the I don't have that kind of yeah. commitment. So I feel like it's kind of intimidating, you know? Yeah, like just watch like 10 episodes of Hunter x Hunter. Because I know for a fact, like the story doesn't actually get going until like after after episode 10, right? Like when they actually get to the exam, right, Aaron? And like going and kill of meat. Up until then, it's just, yeah. You have to commit oh, to I think I'll... Okay, I'll, I'll I'll try. I'm trying. I'll 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 watch it tonight, maybe. What about you, Ning? I'm more into like the boring TV shows. I really like Mad Men or like Narcos, um, House of Cards. I'm like I don't know. I don't think anime is my thing. But I've never tried before, so maybe I should try. Our next segment is our I Need Advice segment. So basically, we find like random advice columns on the internet and we read their scenarios and give these people advice. So like more qualified writers and columnists have already given these people advice, but we're just finding these scenarios and putting our own takes on them. So, okay. So this is about someone who really misses their ex and they want them back, don't know how to get over them. And this is from the website askingbear.com. Dear Bear, about two months ago, my ex ended our four-year relationship because something didn't feel right, in quotes. We shared many firsts from the first kiss right up to the first breakup. This deeply saddened me, and I'm still struggling with who I am without her in my life. She said she wanted to be friends, but I probably burned that bridge when I called her names for the first time during our last phone call a few weeks ago. I needed something concrete that I did wrong, or I would just keep trying to get her back, and I was angry and impulsive. Um... So they're basically just talking about initiating no contact, um, working on self-improvement. Um, they're an EMT, so they're also like throwing themselves into their work more, but they're still really into her. So I still fantasize about doing some grand romantic gesture, like leaving a message in a bottle on her porch, blah, blah, blah. And suddenly we'll go back to three months ago when she was infatuated with me. I know this is fantasy and blah, 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 I respect her. Um, in the long run, I will be happy because I'm pursuing a fulfilling career and building a support network. The only one, I'm the only one that will always be there for me. The hope that is, is what's killing me. I respect her too much to hit on her after she told me it was over, yet I find myself reading guides on how to get your ex back, like jumping almost every day. How can I kill this hope? What is that noise? Have you ever heard of a successful relationship that involved, like, breaking up before? Like, I think you just need a reality check and be like, yo, dude, it's over. And I think only really time and maybe talking to somebody else and getting a rebound would help with that. I That's agree. just my it's opinion. I think surrounding yourself with your friends... Um, if there's a lot that's going in your mind, like maybe writing it down. But I agree with Annie that only time I feel will, would help him in this situation. I feel bad for him, poor guy. Yeah, I think it would help to just get into a new relationship because if this is your like first ever serious love and relationship, like maybe you don't know that there could be better things out there. You're getting too invested when you shouldn't. I'll bring back the words I had from first episode. So pull up the DMs, slide up. Shut and- up. <laughs> Aaron, have you ever actually done this yourself? No, but that doesn't mean I can't give advice, right? 
Big shout out to Annie and Ying for being guests on our third episode of Saturday School. If you enjoyed, make sure to follow us on mission.inspired on Instagram to keep updated with our next episode. We'll see you guys next time for episode four, two weeks from now.